everybody to Today in Space. This week, we're going to have another segment of People of Science where we discuss, uh, we talk to people who are actually working in the industry, who have worked in the industry, and talk about what they're doing right now, and also their origin story of where they came into science and STEM, and, and really what how they use that scientific mindset in everyday life, whether they're still in the industry or not. And, this, and today, we have the honor of talking to uh, Luca, who is the CEO and founder of Deorbit, and we're going to talk a little bit about what they ha provide as a solution for uh, the booming space industry that's going to be coming here in the next uh, five to ten years, never mind what 20 years is going to give us. Uh, so welcome to the show, Luca. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, same here. Uh, so let's let's talk about you as a person. Where where did you come from and where did your journey into science start before you became the, the founder and CEO of Deorbit? Uh, well, it, it started a long time ago when I was five years old. So <laughs> as, as probably many kids, uh, I wanted to become an astronaut. And uh, I remember well, very well when it happened because I was with my uncle in the mountain and I was looking at the star uh, and I said, I mean, what are those lights and my uncle explained in a very scientific way what the star is and i i remember that i didn't understand you know one one thing of what he told me so but i remember that i do thought okay um i want to go to space and check and check out what the stars are so and then uh, from that point i start planning my life uh, in order to to get to space mm. so you know like science school, uh, high school, uh, with a, with major in science, then uh, uh, space engineering, uh, mm. few masters in technical subjects like robotics, uh, uh, um, IT, and and then um, PhD in advanced space propulsion. So a lot of a lot mm. of let's say STEM in in my life. Absolutely. Uh, um, when when you wanted to be an astronaut, was there was there a certain mission that you wanted to do, or was it really just getting up there to see what's there? Yeah, say my goal was really to 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 go, I mean, yeah, to to experiment space. And uh, I, I mean, I, I grew up with science fiction, right? So I I, mm. I read. So my I think my the first book that I, that I read when, when I start, you know, like reading, uh, it was a a, a fourteen hundred pages of a science fiction book on a, on a like famous uh, series here in Europe of science fiction books. And mm. so I said, wow, this is really the future. So I want to to be there, and I want to help building that future. That, that's so great to hear. I mean, I, I you know I started with science fiction as well. Uh, Star Trek uh, that was that was the one that really I think jump started me, and even even things like Back to the Future. So um, you know, science fiction I think helps start the the seeds to get people interested to actually figure out how to do something like that. So that's great. So with Deorbit, where did the where did what is the company? I guess let's do that. Let's do a quick review from you of what Deorbit is and what your mission is there with the company, how it started. Yeah. So so Deorbit uh, uh, has been created to uh, create the first uh, space logistics infrastructure. So um, they say the, the the original uh, thought was. In, I mean, space is going to become a, a very important piece of our existence as, as a society, as human society. Uh, if we if we think about ourselves and we project ourselves in I don't know 500 years in the future, 
it's likely to think that we will be traveling space, having colonies, you know, and moving mm -hmm. from planet to planet. So I said, okay, if, if, if in 500 years we will be there, it means that we, we will start the roadmap uh, to get there sooner or later. So why not now? Mm -hmm. uh, but in order to do that, we are still missing an infrastructure that enables us to get there. And I believe mm -hmm. the logistics infrastructure is what is missing. Uh, we take logistics for granted on Earth. But you think about even, you know, uh, if you like who produce pens, need mm -hmm. someone to pick up the pens at the factory, uh, bring them to the distributor and then to the local shop, which you can buy a pen for a reasonable amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in space at the moment, we are not there yet. So the original mm -hmm. idea was to create this infrastructure. And of course, then you need the market because, you know, companies right. apparently need to make money and pay salaries at the end of the month. So yep. you need to find customers <laughs> and markets. So, so what we did instead of saying, okay, let's go straight, straight forward into the, you know, final uh, vision uh, uh, of, of space logistics infrastructure, let's, uh, let's try to understand what's happening in the market. What are the markets that are appearing and let's make sure that whatever we do today it's good for customers that are existing today but also a good piece of what we will need tomorrow and this is uh, yeah. why we started with space debris and then uh, moving satellites into space now we are transporting uh, uh, satellites in another location in space and next there will be the in-orbit servicing so I, I, I wonder if I know with everything that's happened with, with COVID-19 this last year, I think so much more has been the, the focus has been so much more on safety. And I think even logistics, to, to your point, I think before last year, so many of us uh, kind of didn't even think about logistics. It was the unsung hero in the background. And as soon as something like the pandemic happened that screws up all the logistics, you realize just how important it is to have that structure. And, you know, given how many satellites we already have in orbit, your video on your website uh, was great. Uh, the website is dorbit.space. Um, and you can see the video there. But, like, other than a gut feeling of this industry could go somewhere, you, you, you put numbers out there that makes it real. Um, 6,500 satellites launched and deployed in the last... 60 years with 23,000 estimated satellites to launch in the next five to 10. So just that blew me away just seeing the numbers. I hadn't seen that before. Was that, was that number part of what started the company or did you find that number after going after the idea of we need this in place for the future? Yeah, no, actually we, we, we found the number along the way because when we started the company 10 years ago, so we are, you know, like very old new space company. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so, so we are still a young company, but in the new space, we are very old. Uh, when we started our business, there was no new space. I mean, new space world was not existing. Uh, only giants, you know, only traditional companies, governments uh, uh, were, were creating the space market at that time. Uh, but in, um, let's say I was lucky enough, um, a part of my study, so I study business in US in Silicon Valley, and then mm -hmm. I joined NASA there. It was 2009, okay? Mm -hmm. And then in 2009 uh, at NASA, I was working at a, uh, in a project that was called the PhoneSat. So it was a small satellite, mm -hmm. and we were using the Google Nexus One phones. Yeah, uh, well, right, it, it yep. was uh, bigger than that. It was bigger not a that. This yeah. is where it's all going, right? Yeah, yeah ultimately, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, uh, and in my team, 
there were also uh, Chris Boschwitz and, and Will Marshall. Actually, they were my boss in that project. Mm. And, uh, you know, and, and these two guys then created Planet Labs. That is one of the, the, like the biggest satellite constellations existing today. So, and, and I understood that, wow, the market is changing, space is changing. So yeah. it may happen in like one, two, three, four years, but definitely it's not going you know, to happen in 10 or 20 years. So if we don't do something, either it will be too late or someone else will, right? So in 2010, yeah. we, Renato and I, Renato is the other founder that actually I met at, at NASA. We came back wow. to Europe to start the company. So at the beginning was really, you know, we were talking about um, space debris or like logistics and uh, even the space agencies were, were laughing at the time because they said, well, this is science fiction, guys, go back to school, right? But uh, yeah. what we are doing now, it's what was considered science fiction 10 years ago. No, and I'm glad you're bringing this up. I mean, so I, I was in my aerospace engineering degree in the U.S. from 08 till uh, 2015, um, and I saw the transition happen while I was in school. Um, and very much so in the academic space, it was the same idea. It was that science fiction, you know, it's going to take forever for it to, to develop because that's what everyone was used to. Um, so it's really cool to hear that there were people at that time seeing it who, who branched off and said, let's, let's, and let's take what we know and do something about it. Now, a decade later, you guys are in this position. Um, what is it like having an old space, you know, coming from the old space and then creating a new space culture and company. What has that journey been like? Yeah, let's say I, I, I copied and pasted a lot from IT companies in Silicon Valley. So mm. uh, because I, now I'm saying something that probably will not be very popular, but satellites are becoming a commodity very soon. So uh, and they are becoming more and more software. And, and um, you know, that, that means flexibility, versatility, you know, uh, I, of course you need the hardware, but the, right. the way you design the hardware, the way you operate satellites, it's more and more similar to how we operate softwares rather than a, a unique piece of very high tech hardware, right? So mm. this is how we, 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 we started the company. It wasn't very easy at the beginning because we were, our first customers were traditional companies. So actually right. I got, Right. I, I cannot, I cannot, let's say, spell the name, but I say we got very big companies uh, coming, uh, coming into the company to teach us how to do the work, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, but I have to say that that actually was useful because we learned the concept of quality. That is right. something that not, not so often you can find in the new space community. And today mm -hmm. I spend slightly more uh, to apply these quality concepts, uh, but it's paying back a lot because uh, you have to transfer. So you, you don't have to operate uh, like completely according to the old or the traditional quality aspect. You need to translate to the new space domain. But if you, if you have some quality standards, then you know that you, know, you are taking care of potential issues that may happen in space. Because once you, once you are there, there's nothing you can do. It's too late. <laughs> it's true. It's true. No, and that's, that's, that's a beautiful sentiment. I mean, uh, so. You know, I had so much angst and, uh, and anxiety coming out of school that uh, uh, for the old ways. And, of course, I'm very new space-minded. I talk about it a lot on the podcast here. You know, we're very in-depth into SpaceX and what Rocket Lab is doing and so many other companies, especially like yourselves. Um, but as we start launching human beings again into space, having the ability to do it in our own country, 
like that has now brought me back to thinking about NASA of the space shuttle era and the old space, why they were so gung-ho on those things of safety and, and quality. Like you said, once you're there, you're there. And if it's human beings on board or millions of dollars of a payload, you, you have to. So it's finding that balance um, of, of, of keeping what's good from the old days and being open-minded enough to make adjustments when it's needed. Yeah, uh, you know, I think new space is like uh, a teenager, right? So yep. when, when, when uh, if you remember, at least when I was a teenager, I was fighting uh, with my parents every single day, right? And I said, yep. you know, uh, you, you don't understand me, right? Mm -hmm. But then when I, I'm not a teenager anymore, unfortunately. So then I said, okay, maybe not everything that they were telling me is wrong. So probably right. something is good. And then I, let's say, uh, you know, use... Uh, what they told me that I thought was was good uh, into something mm. new that I created myself. So I think right. new space is approaching this. So he started mm. as a teenager and now he's understanding that if you really want to deliver a reliable business, because right. that's that's the, the ultimate goal and, and a beneficial business for the entire society, then you need to make sure that you are capable of delivering a business. So quality will enter into the process more and more. It doesn't mean mm. that we are going back to the like 400 million satellites of, of you know the past era uh, right. we can still uh, keep the model uh, but working in a different way and that and this is already happening M many companies are already you know following this this uh, this trend absolutely and how do you see it over there in europe i know over here a lot of what we're getting is you know europe is starting to catch up with the reusable rocket technology and 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 seeing different options um you know I think there's a lot of, again, teenager reactions to, you know, new space and old space and stuff like that. But I see a lot of promise with, with ESA and everything that's over there uh, in Europe for, as far as space technology. How does it how does it feel on the ground over there? Um, I know you guys are a global yeah. company, but. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Let's say uh, the, the advantage of being in Europe is that you can see both what is happening in U.S. and in mm -hmm. Asia as well. Because we, you know, when we, we people of space, let's say, we are a, 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 like a lot focused on, on what is happening in U.S. and in Europe. But, you know, we, we should not forget what is happening in Asia. That, that's that's a, like a, a huge and skyrocketing numbers of companies in the, in the new space domain as, as well there. Mm -hmm. So, and, but let's say overall, um, the, the, the difference between the traditional space and the new space is that while the traditional space is still regional, so the, the European traditional space is, you know, associated to Europe, the U.S. is just associated to, to U.S. and so on, the new space is actually global. So we are working a lot with U.S. companies, uh, with Asian companies, with uh, African companies, uh, like Australian companies, South of America companies. So that's the beauty of new space. There are no, no real boundaries. So we go beyond the, the, the politics. Of course, there are limitations because if you are like in U.S., you have some difficulties on, you know, with, with Asia. If you are in Europe, you have some restriction with some nations as as that's normal but let's say this is a this is a good so new space is really going beyond the the past limitations uh but i have to say on on some aspects us uh, especially in the traditional space is um is more advanced but europe europe is catching up so i give you this example the nasa is already contracting industries uh to buy services from them 
And that's actually, I think, the evolution, right? Because at the, at the beginning, NASA right. uh, was part of the creation of the infrastructure. Now mm -hmm. NASA is becoming the enabler of, of yes. the, the, like the commercial market. So mm -hmm. Europe is, is, uh, is going through this transaction right now. So they are becoming the enabler as well. So, mm -hmm. and, and that's actually a good point. And I'm expecting that this is going to happen at worldwide level. So space agency right. had a, a very important and fundamental role to create mm -hmm. what we are using today. And now they are becoming enabling factor for the next generation of like space companies and, 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 and so on. Absolutely, no, I, I... I, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm just so glad I, I don't get to talk to many people about this. So this is amazing. Um, I, I'm, I'm on the board. I love the idea that new space has no boundaries. I, I had never thought, I never put it that way. Um, so that's that's great. Um, so let, let's talk about deorbit. Let's let's talk about some of the solutions that you guys have um, and, and what what challenges you're helping solve in, in this satellite market right now. Yeah, let's say that, that what we're doing right now, um, uh, it's, it's solving a, like a major issue that is a bottleneck for the exploitation of the, all the constellations that are uh, being launched. Um, uh, that is basically getting into the right location in the least time possible. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, we know that the, the new space satellites are not lasting 15 years in space. Right. They have a, yeah, so. That's and, a great uh, point. You know, yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> I'm not saying that they, will, that they last only three years, but let's say likely between three and five, right? So if they are mm -hmm. very well done and manufactured, this is mm -hmm. pretty much. And also uh, uh, there are economic reasons behind because you don't really want to have a, a satellite that, that, that uh, can last 15 years. Because if, imagine to have internet on, on the satellite, I mean, yeah. I, I, I didn't have internet on my cell phone 15 years ago. So, there's no point to have, you know, it would be obsolete technology anyway. But let's say, right. so uh, the issue that they have, uh, if they waste um, several months or even one year to get to their final location, then they are sacrificing one third of their revenues. And they are also post, like, you know, postponing the revenues. That it's, it's, if you are a young company uh, that uh, venture back, postponing revenues is also a, a damage for you. Uh, right. Can, can we then, talk about some of the numbers? I, and I'm not, I'm not sure what you can or yeah. can't share, um, even if it's a fake number that's close. Um, what is an investment uh, towards getting one of these in there? And then you said it could take a year before you're even in a, an orbital position to actually make use of it, right? Is that, that timeline correct? Well, yeah. So let's say let's let, let's uh, let's um, let's get into some real examples. So sure. uh, imagine you you have a a bunch of satellites, say 10 satellites in, a, in one rocket, you reach the right orbit. So you get to 500 kilometers orbit, and then you need to uh, disperse your satellite in an equispaced way around the, around the orbit, because you mm -hmm. want your satellites in the right position there. Today, uh, depends on the, on the type of satellites, it may take between six and 10 months using the like differential drag uh, technique, right? And mm -hmm. uh, you may have motors on, on, your, on your satellite, but since your satellites are small, you don't really want to use the propellant. Yeah, right. so you want to keep the propellant for the business because if you, if you decide to put a motor, it's because you need it for the business, not just for right. moving around. 
and that's yeah. that's one aspect and this we can do it in uh, less than four weeks so we did it in four weeks last year in two weeks this year already in january and that's, uh, that's that's really an amazing savings of time 85 percent less time but also if you need to go uh, you have 10 satellites to put in one orbit and another 10 to put in a like in a different plane in a different orbit then today you need to buy two rockets uh, one from one orbit and a, another rocket for another orbit. If you are lucky enough that the locations in which you need to go, the two different orbits or different planes are reachable by rockets. That's oh. it's not, not trivial. We can do it in one mission. So we have a sort of cargo that we can fill up with satellites. We can transport up to 400 pounds of cargo. And we can, uh, with the current version, that is still the, like the medium size of our cargo. Um, and then we can go basically anywhere. We can theoretically, uh, we can even reach the moon if it's needed. No wow. one is paying us to go to the moon right, right. now. Right, and that's so when you would go, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going there, but let's say, right. you know, like technically speaking, with that, that, there is the possibility to get there. Let's say we are focusing more in Leo, where all the constellations are being positioned. And the, 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 the interesting story is that uh, satellite operators are now experimenting new business models because, they, oh, wow, there are orbits that I was not uh, able to use before. And now I can get there and change my business model uh, in order to get there. And the time that I save may allow me not to have a lot of backup satellites or, you know, or, like they, they are oh, really wow. coming, coming to us with a lot of like crazy and smart ideas that we are very happy to 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 realize. That's so exciting! And this is what we are doing now. Uh, uh, but the same cargo can be used for many other aspects. So uh, another issue of like young startups that are you know they, they they get maybe they get some money from investors to develop a piece of hardware, but mm -hmm. then the investors. I'm pretty sure, and uh, I would like to to lose uh, to lose the bet if someone uh, actually uh, say the contrary. Uh, I'm pretty sure that investors are not giving uh, the total amount of money that they need to build the entire constellation. It's more likely that they will tell the company, "Okay, I give you some money. Show me that your technology is working." But at that point, you need to. I mean, the proof of the proof of concept need to be done in space. And today, right. to get to space, it takes between two to five years and two to six million dollars. That's a huge amount of money that definitely investors, I mean, they may be willing to give it to you, but if you can use it for, you know, for your business, it's better. You can put your technology in our cargo in six months, you are in space and you are, let's say, validating your technology. We already did in 2017 for three customers last year for another three, two, and now we have two, like, very weird cameras that we are testing for companies that are working very well. I cannot provide you more details, course, but very interesting companies. And, mm. and this is one aspect. But then imagine what you can do when you deliver all the satellites in orbit, you have tested all the technology that you are transporting, you still have a very good asset in, in orbit that you can use for Absolutely. many other aspects. Absolutely. And, and you know, so uh, a lot of my experience comes from, you know, 3D printing and iterative design. That's, that's a lot of where, where I've learned, the, I think, the most uh, out of school. And being able to experiment quickly and inexpensively is so important to developing an idea. And that, I mean, that's ultimately what you're talking about is like, okay, if someone's going to invest the money in this, we're going to test out an idea. 
it's got to be quick and it's got to be money, especially with the way the world has turned in the last year. People don't necessarily or have that money laying around to throw at a two to five year investment or want to do that if they do have the money. Um, So that's I mean, it's great that you guys are in this position. Not great that the world has turned this way, but, you know, giving the kind of the the strength of where you guys originally placed this company 10 years ago uh it, it's it's great to hear i mean i think there's there's to think that orbitally we haven't even begun to innovate on where we can put things that's that's super exciting um so let's talk about logistics so if people start using these new orbits and start expanding um how is deorbit specifically suited to help with that because i i can imagine with 20 what is it 23000 uh, in the next 10 years, and that's just what we guess now, uh, that seems like we could get into trouble really quickly <laughs> if we don't take care of it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And and uh, and actually, the 23,000 is excluding, you know, the like the the big uh, constellation by um, oh, uh, SpaceX, SpaceX Starlink. SpaceX. Oh. Inverted, so they right? just so, doubled. They doubled that number then. <laughs> Good yeah, Lord. triple actually. So 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 you get three times more satellite. That that's really so from one side, you have an, an issue of, of uh, congestion in orbit. Uh, that's the first. So let's say space traffic management is, is going to be required, not just in terms of, of like regulations, but also in terms of services. So you need to make sure that you are able to deliver the satellites as fast as possible because you, you don't want to get stuck into the, into the congestion, but also the space debris issue, right? So we already right. have this major issue already existing with just a fraction of the satellites that will be in the near future. Right. If we don't act uh, quickly, not just uh, uh, because we, we have a solution for satellites that are not yet in space, so like uh, an intelligent device that you can install on the satellite and is capable of removing the satellite even if the satellite is not working anymore. Which but that's, that's, uh, that's good for avoiding to create new trash in space. Right. Right. But what about the trash that is already there? Then you will need what, what I call in orbit servicing that is, uh, you know, it's not just uh, uh, extending the life of satellites or like uh, rescuing satellites or moving one satellite from one position to another, but it's also what is called in, uh, like in, in our sector, is called active debris removal. So uh, the, 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 the ability to go after an existing satellites in orbit, grab the satellite that is not functioning anymore, and then removing. And, uh, and that's, that's going to be a huge opportunity for companies like, like mine, right? Yeah. So to get into that market, but also a huge bottleneck for satellite operators if there are no solutions about that. Because I think if you have, let's say, 100 satellites, I'm not saying 1,000, let's say 100 satellites only, right? And then you, you need to put some backup satellites because of course, some of your satellites will die unexpectedly. And uh, let's assume that you are very good on manufacturing your satellite and you have 90% uh, reliability at the end of life. So let's say that you, you, you have 10 satellites that are not working uh, in a year. Um, and then what happens? The, those 10 satellites will start drifting. So then you need to avoid collisions with your own satellite. So it is your problem. It's not someone else's problem. Right. So the first problem is yours. So if you have propellant, you have to sacrifice propellant that was theoretically supposed to you be used for your business to avoid collisions. And then you have 10 satellites. The second year, you may have 
another so you launch more satellites to compensate and then you have another 10 satellites that are still there and then you have the double of probability of of collision events and then the triple and so on so you need to get rid of that of those satellites as fast as possible when they stop working the the issue is that you don't know which one is going to stop working right so because if right. you know you just remove it before so you put right. some more propellant and then you yeah. you remove it you know like one hour before like stopping you just remove it so you need someone that is uh, offering the service uh, to go yeah. after those defunct satellites and remove it safely that's fascinating I, you know my mind was just racing thinking about all the possibilities and like the position that the satellite market is it's almost like the early days of of all the plastic that we started using and recyclability and, and not understanding what we were doing in the first place and then you know uh organizations that do create some carbon they'll plant a tree to offset it and I, like i feel like we're in this kind of realization in that in the satellite market where you know if you if you do 100 satellites and you know you're going to have a 90% success rate, do you have to drop it down to 99 and toss up another satellite that's just meant for deorbiting? Um, or, you know, it, it's, it's like how do you counteract that in the equation of your investment into going into space? Yeah, yeah, I think there are there are several uh, aspects, but I like to focus more on the economic aspects because I think mm. it's uh, because you know of course many organizations are working to set up new rules, but mm. I believe that companies will act first because they have an economic interest of yeah. solving this issue. So, uh, but even uh, imagine just monitoring the defunct satellites. So even mm. already today. The era of uh, private monitoring companies has already be, has already started. So our our launch that that we did in uh, in January, uh, mm. there were on on the same rocket we were more than 130 satellites, I guess. So mm. a lot of satellites delivered in basically one area of space, right. and it was really really difficult to capture your satellite at the, at the beginning. You know, within all the the cloud, so many companies start using private companies uh, selling services uh, using their radars, their telescopes. You know, mm. to capture your satellite and provide you the the, the positioning of your satellite, and this helped uh, many many companies. Uh, you know, to speed up the the the, the LEOP operation. So and the, so, uh, but now it means that in the future, satellite operators that leave their satellites for t 20 plus years in space, mm. then they will need to pay for that service, and they need to take into account the cost. And it will be for right. 20 years. It's a lot of money, right? So that yeah. you need to put in your balance sheet. Um, then, uh, as I mentioned before, the, the the economics of avoiding collisions, the the economics of um, third-party liability that today is not is not yet uh, a recognized issue. Uh, but the more the private companies will be in space, the more this will be an issue because you know. Government with government is more difficult. They, they will find the solution. They will help each other, you know, to mitigate. Yep. But if another company disrupt the business of uh -huh. another companies, uh, I think shareholders from one company will say, "Oh, wow! Now we want back the the money that 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 we have lost." So it's mm. more probable that this uh, the, the the new space law will uh, will also start growing. So I think the third-party liabilities and all these other aspects will uh, will be very important and this will all help companies to find innovative solutions we just mentioned a couple right but uh, uh, it, customers will definitely 
put on the table creative solutions that will help them to run their business safely and without compromising the ecosystem. Because the, the, what you said before, the, the space circular economy, it's already started and uh, it's happening very fast because the, the damages that we are creating space are very fast as well. Mm, that's fascinating. I uh, My mind is racing with all the possibilities that are going to come in the next five years, um, never mind decades. But uh, I am blown away by the speed of how, how fast everything is going. Um, it seems so stagnant for such a long time. Um, yeah, and moving forward, uh, I'm really glad, and this is why I'm so glad we get to talk to like a wide variety of people working in STEM. I think your focus on the, the economics of it is so important, and I think it's a reality that many people, when they go out of academia, realize, even if they're looking for funding for research, it really ultimately, good or bad, comes down to the, the money involved, whether you're making a profit or you're getting funding. Um, and I think it's a reality that a lot of us struggle with originally. Um, was that something, did you always have that mindset of the science, you know, uh, is driven by the economics or is that something you learned along the way? Well, I, let's say I, I had to learn uh, um, uh, by myself. Uh, let's say when I was five years old, I was used to, to sell uh, toys outside of the kindergarten, right? So, uh, and I was selling my toys at first and then uh, I was selling also the toys of my friends that, uh, and, and I was taking a percentage. That's crazy. Hey. Uh, it was even before. Ah, so, I so this is read. this is in your this is in your DNA. This is. Yeah, I, I think it great. is my. Actually, I pay for I paid for my universities um, uh, trading uh, like uh, uh, technologies in internet, uh, like buying from one nation and then selling to another part. So and that actually wow. uh, allowed me to, to pay for my university. So I think it was That's something amazing. that I had to learn in the hard way, right? Because uh, mm. uh, I, I couldn't afford to, uh, you know, the, the, the university at that time. So I, I had to do it on the hard way. But uh, I think it's, uh, uh, it, it was good anyway. It was a very good experience because when I start approaching investors and when I start approaching customers, I mean, the, the first thing that you need to understand is what they really need. Actually even more than need, because if they have a need, it means that you there are already solutions that you can improve. But my role in the orbit especially is to create something that is not existing. So you need to understand what are their problems. Uh, and, and needs and problems are not similarities. So when you have a problem, you may accept the problem. So for example, now we are used to waste one third of the light of the satellites to you know to get in position right. and we know that we cannot get we, we cannot get anywhere in space so when we design like our business plan as a satellite operator we say okay these are the orbits that are available and we need to make business with that it's just a compromising but when you when you understand that that's the problem that they have because they are compromising the potential of their business and you free them from that boundary and and, the, and now you know the one year after they can put their satellites wherever they think is more useful for their business then actually you, you know you, you you got it so, so so you create something that is new and this is the logistics basically and the logistics even on earth they are doing that they listen to the customers they understand what is the need and they they work together and they develop, they, they progress together. 
Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that you said that. It's a it's it's a learning experience, and I I think there's even I think even old space is learning a lot of that right now with what new space is offering. Like just to use SpaceX as the example, I mean the the fact they're able to to tap into all these different things, the the constellation market, um, heavy lift rocket. I mean the Falcon Heavy it was kind of a, a you know it's like a, let's see what we can do. It wasn't you know it's they're just kind of piggybacking off what they did. It's obviously a lot more complicated than that, but um, there's that, there's Starship. I mean, all these things that just have been, I think, if you think about first principles, when you root down the biggest problems, they're really good at focusing on that and building a business around that to build the next thing. Um, and you guys have this sea of solutions for the market that's going to explode here and is already exploding. Um, it, what else is in the next, uh, Let's just say five years for you guys. Are you even thinking of it in a five-year – like is there a, a, a zone that you're thinking for the next progress for deorbit? Yeah, yeah. So let's say uh, definitely that – let's say the angle of space debris is always important for us. So yeah. we started our business. So our very first product was uh, to mitigate the issue of space debris. Then, mm -hmm. of course, was uh, – an important strategic step for us because we we needed to build the, the technology that we we are still using and uh, but we need also to find the product to sell on the market so that was you know the perfect uh, 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 let's say uh, uh, points in which we can start uh, but still debris is still an important aspect and I also think uh, space debris is a strategic market uh, for the orbit uh, not just for the orbit because uh, I mean you know, if we are alone, it means that the market is not very good. So, uh, but luckily there are other companies that are uh, are coming, not just in the logistics, but also right. getting into the, uh, like, uh, active debris removal. Actually, there was mm. a, an amazing launch uh, uh, done very recently. I know that I cannot mention the company, but it's very mm. good company, uh, very good job. I'm going to talk with him soon. Um, so hopefully we will see uh, a lot of, uh, results also in the active debris removal very soon and we want to be part of it so our next step so today we are exploiting the, the current market that is uh, making sure that the satellites are positioned as fast as possible avoiding to leave uh, let's say trash in orbit um, and uh, uh, as the next phase the, there are all the what we call advanced service so what we can do with your asset that is already in space to help the satellite operators that you were transporting or the other satellites that are already there, okay, uh, to, to do a better job in terms of delivering service on ground. But then, and this is already basically happening, but then the next step will be to enter into the in-orbit servicing. So we have the, we don't have all the technology. So we build pretty much all the technology in-house so far. That's amazing. Uh, we don't have all the technology for the in-orbit servicing. So we are mm. going to work with partners on that. Uh, amazing partners, really great companies that immediately understood what new space means. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and this is going to happen when the market will appear. I'm expecting that the, the in-orbit servicing, well, it, it's already, I think, a market in geo and it's becoming quickly a market in geo as well in a few years mm -hmm. from now. Do you see, um, so I guess just to, to talk about a few other things that I'm, I, especially with your passion of becoming an astronaut, I have to ask, have you applied to uh, ESA's uh, astronaut corps? Have you applied to that new uh, application that's out there for for the next generation? So um, uh, I cannot apply now because uh, ah. apparently I'm, I'm too old to become an astronaut. So let's say what? In, Europe, 
Well, yeah, so I have to say, uh, you know, in US, you have a contest pretty much every year and usually right. 30 astronauts are, are selected about, yeah? Um, in Europe, you have one chance in a life uh, and usually you get like four positions. So I, 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 I did the selection uh, in 2008 and, and that's why I studied a lot, right? So I, you know, yeah. like the, the master degree, the, all the other masters, the PhD and so on. Well, I also served in the army as an officer of the uh, parachutist corps, right? So, mm. so uh, everything was done according to the objective of becoming an astronaut. So in right. 2008, the contest was out and uh, I apply. We were about 10,000 people in Europe and mm. for four positions. Um, well, if I'm here, I'm not an astronaut, so you know how the story ended. But they say I went, they say very close to the end, but not close enough. And that's yeah. actually the reason why the orbit exists. Because at that point, I said, "Oh wow, uh, what should I do with my life now?" Right? So, yeah. uh, why don't build my own spaceship and go to space on my own? I said, I "Well, that. if I if I need to go there, uh, then I need some knowledge, some business knowledge." So I need to study business. He had two companies at the time, but they were very technical companies, mm-hmm. you know, like a drone company that we were using, like building drones for like service to industry. And mm-hmm. the other one was producing special effects for the, for the movie sectors. We also went oh, to wow. the Oscar. We didn't win, but it was a like, awesome. cool experience. <laughs> I mean, to deal yeah. with directors, guys, you know, uh, uh, space is a v- way more easy way more but anyway anyway, so I said what should I do now so I went to study business in Silicon Valley then I started working at NASA I said okay now we are ready to start the company that sooner or later is capable of creating a spaceship in which I will be the passenger so so that's I love it I love it. And, you know, and there's all these opportunities cropping up. I mean, we just had Dear Moon. We've got uh, the Inspiration4 mission with, with SpaceX and that St. Jude research. Um, I, I think that's just the beginning of all these other uh, opportunities that are getting up there. Um, of course, flying on your own ship. I mean, that, that just makes that makes all the sense in the world to me. So that's awesome. Um, that's fascinating. To, to I mean, there's so many of us that have taken a path that was not the original path that we thought we were going to take uh, in, in this space industry. So, um, But it's it's the journey, right? Everything that you've learned now has given you more capability to do it even more your way than probably you would have done it if you had gone the traditional route, right? Yeah, exactly. And also, I think a, a, a good message to, to to deliver also to who is listening to us, it's, you know, in the, in the past, and I'm not saying... 50 years ago, I'm saying like 10 years ago, uh, if you if you were if you were like a space engineer and then you started working in, I don't know, in the oil and gas industry, that's it. Right. So you couldn't go back to space. Now it's not like that anymore, because like in my company, yes, we have space engineers, but they are like the the, 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 the minority in the company. We have uh, electrical engineering, mechanical engineers, uh, uh, telecommunication engineering. I mean, we have a lot of engineers, definitely engineers and PhD, of course. But uh, let's say uh, we we don't stick only to space. So we need, actually, we need to learn from what the other industries are doing here because they are doing very well and understand how we can translate it into the space sector. This This is what we're doing. So the competence in other domains are more and more important into the space sector. 
Now, is is that a, a function of diversity of thought and experience, and and just like everyone brings a new way of thinking? Is that is that useful and valuable? I, I think it is, but is that useful and valuable when you're solving complex solutions that that you guys are doing? Yes, exactly. That's 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 the point. And, and I would add also the the fact that uh, those sectors exist, uh, uh, you know, since way before the space, uh, the new space mm. sector started. So they had to experiment innovation and solutions in their own domain. Maybe not everything is applicable because space is, you know, it's very, I mean, particular and unique environment. Right. But still, you can learn. Uh, the methodology and especially the people coming from there they are used to solve uh, like issues and uh, to work in a uh, like production with certain requirements mm -hmm. uh, to, to find the, the cheapest solution uh, but still reliable you know all these aspects are becoming more and more important in, in the new space industry so mm -hmm. uh, and definitely the expertise in the new space industry it's almost non-existing because the first new space company started, well, let's say the orbit 10 years ago, you take planet, you take spire, you take other, if, if you look at the, you know, the oldest new space companies, they are not uh, more than 10, 12 years old. So it's right. uh, the real experts are, are very few. So you need to learn from other experts that, that have these experience and these capabilities, as, as you mentioned, in other domain and attract them into the space sector. Absolutely. Uh, no, Luca, this is this has been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed talking with you. I don't want to take all your time here, but um, just is, do you have any last thoughts for people? What are you excited about uh, in the next in the next year that's coming up with all the things that are happening in space right now? Um, any any last words for the folks out there? Yeah. So let's say um, if I have to to uh, to express my my proud my pride or like the, the my my the, why I'm happy about working in the in the space sector is because now space is really for everyone. So uh, what I'm seeing now uh, that everybody understands space, they understand that it's a, a service that will create benefits for the entire society. Um, and uh, you know, like ten years ago, most of the people were uh, was thinking, why should we spend one dollar into space when we have a lot of issues here on Earth? Now, it's more common to hear, yes, but you know, most of the solutions that we're using today are coming from space. So if we invest in space, all the society will benefit from that. And 80% of the technology we are using today is directly or indirectly coming from space. So, and this is really uh, make me uh, proud of what, what we are doing because we are enabling uh, satellite operators today, but we are enabling also the human expansion in a sustainable space. And sustainable is a very important word because whatever we do in space, let's not forget how it works here on Earth. Let's not forget that any business needs to be in a, let's say, closed loop, so, you know, that this circular economy, uh, circular economy sh sh should be applied in space as well, but uh, mm -hmm. I see a lot of effort going in this direction already when it took decades on any other sectors, in space is already happening. And this is really amazing, amazing. Uh, smart people, innovation, uh, when you don't know that is not possible, then it becomes possible. And that's 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 what space is offering to young engineers and uh, you know even non-engineers that want to work in the space business today. That's a, an amazing sentiment. Thank you. Uh, 
one one other thing because a, a lot of other people that listen to this podcast not a lot but a good portion are uh people who either uh started in STEM and ended up in a in a different industry um or or wanted to go into space and ended outside of it or never thought it was possible and are now looking at it as as someone that's that's running a company hiring people in this new space environment what what kind of suggestion do you have for someone that either doesn't have the experience or has been been out for a while and is applying to work for a company like let's let's say Deorbit. Yeah, well, let's say first of all, if if you have a career in STEM anyway, uh, but you are not working in the space in industry, there are no boundaries at all, uh, zero boundaries. So as I as I mentioned, we are hiring people from automotive, oil and gas, IT, um, agriculture. I mean, you know, any sector. If you have an expertise and uh, you know how to solve problems. Definitely space is, is really open uh, for you as well. If you don't have a, a STEM background, right, so that it, it may happen that you, you decide to go for more humanistic uh, uh, topics, uh, well, still, it, it may be slightly more difficult, I have to say, because we still have a lot of, uh, let's say, technical expertise, even in the sales uh, people, but not, not everyone is, uh, is, uh, is an engineer, even in our company. We have lawyers in our companies. Uh, actually, we have space law. So, uh, for example, if you are a lawyer, uh, think about space law, because it's going to become big. It's going to become yeah, big. It, no one's touched it yet. Yeah, no one's touched exactly. space law yet. <laughs> Exactly right. So it's it's a virgin market. So that's that's uh, that's important. Uh, and uh, or if you if you are uh, if you have knowledge in, in finance or administration, uh, human resources. So uh, mm. I mean, space companies are companies. So they have yeah. the same needs of any other company. So look mm. uh, look after the the opportunities, not just for engineers, because there there are so many opportunities. Like I I, I cannot just, you know sell what I'm what we are looking for now, but we are looking for both uh, STEM and non-STEM uh, people mm. right now. So if you go on our website and you look for job positions, you find you know. I, I wouldn't say half and half, but that definitely 30% uh, of the positions are for non-STEM uh, people. So welcome That's in the great. orbit. We are waiting for you guys. So if you Amazing, amazing. No, and, and you said something, you know, there's, there's something that people that don't work in STEM may not understand, but uh, in general, engineers and scientists aren't best communicators. And... They, you know, and that's not a that's not a fault. I think it's just a balance of hey, if you're that smart, you gotta keep room in your head for for you gotta kind of toss some things out. But uh, but there is a there is a huge uh opportunity for people who are just able to communicate between teams or to the people outside the company to bring them into the that uh that I've seen in my own career. I've been lucky that I have, I've got a mix of both, but. Um, that to me seems like a place that there's a lot of people, whether whether it's sales or human resources, that would be super valuable in a, in a company in new space. Absolutely. Uh, actually, communication is one of mm. the most important topics, not just communicating, you know, and posting on the, on the social. That's still important, way more important than in the past, but also communicating with customers. Uh, yeah. You know, customers are your most important resource. So if you don't know how to communicate with them, then yeah, you may sign a contract, but then you, you don't get to the second one. So that's, right. that's one aspect. And definitely you don't need to be an engineer to do that, uh, but not just with, with customers. You have uh, shareholders, 
you have uh, the, the other stakeholders, so the, the community, the local community, you have the government, but also the internal communication. And mm -hmm. this is has to be done uh, through like people management. And so there are many aspects in which communication is important, uh, but not just communication. There are many other um, capabilities that people without a, a STEM background uh, can make a difference in a company working in space. Uh, I mean, now that they are, now that governments are talking about um, base on the moons or like colonies on Mars, then you need psychologists, you need architects, you need, I mean, you, you name it, you, it's you, infinite, it, right? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, as I said, there are really no boundaries. So, uh, just give it a try, uh, maybe not with the first company, maybe with the second one, but definitely you will find a position that actually will allow you to use your superpower in, mm -hmm. in, in a space company. And this is good for you and this is good for the company. Absolutely. Luca, thank you so much. This has been uh, super inspiring. I'm all jazzed up over here. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about Deorbit and your origin story in, in STEM and science and uh, inspiring people to get involved. I mean, I, I talk about it so much, I feel like I'm in a bubble sometimes. Uh, but to hear someone else say say the same, it's it's so great. Uh, it's so refreshing. So thank you um, for, for coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. And, uh, you know, let's let us let us keep in touch. And, uh, you Absolutely. know, and uh, we will have a lot of more stories in the in the future to tell. So let's okay. keep in touch. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, where, thank you. Uh, where where can everyone find? So Dorbit, D-O-R-B-I-T dot space. Uh, is there anywhere else, social media where, where they can find you? Uh, yes, yeah, so we have um, we, we have a LinkedIn channel, we have an Instagram channel, and a Facebook channel. And you always, if you if you if you search D Orbit, uh, D O R B I T or D dash O R B I T, then you will find us. Awesome, thank you, Luca, so much. Uh, everybody out there, spread love and spread science. Be well, and thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much. <laughs> bye bye.